Welcome back. Monty and Wolf Show is here. Um, we are not having network issues, so we are not going to have to pause this show. As, as Well, we might have network issues later, but as it stands right now, we are not going to have to pause this show for potentially six hours, Wolf. I know yeah. you were, and then reschedule it. Um, exactly. Uh, so we are planning on continuing with the show, and it is going to be about its normal length, and uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, but we will not be pausing, nor will we be then returning briefly and then pausing again for an extended period of time and then returning briefly and then pausing again. Even though the show is really over, even though it's really done, and we kind of like, we're really wrapping up, but like, we have to kind of like, hold on a second and then we'll yeah. come back in a few hours and then, uh, and then you'll finish your closing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And certainly not, uh, you know, we'll get up to the point where we'll discuss how KT is obviously fraudulent. And then you will pause the stream for six hours while losing the argument. And then you'll lose in the final two minutes after we come back. Right. Yeah. 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 Because we got to, we got to, we got to hold just for that, that, that <laughs> ultimate moment at the end. Uh, look, I, I saw, I saw a bunch of rumors flying around social media about this, that maybe it was a DDoS on the actual LCK studio, because apparently some of the, major streamers and professional players have been repeatedly DDoSed while playing solo queue. Wolf, have you seen anything about the players being DDoSed? So I have I have definitely heard reports of players and streamers getting DDoSed and even like professional players who are streaming, right? Um, you know, on their just like free days and stuff, uh getting DDoSed. Um and as far as I know, nobody really knows who's behind that. It might be a group of people, you know. I'm not a, a person who really fully is like super technologically understanding how DDoSs work and how to protect against DDoS and all that stuff. Like I've never been DDoSed myself. And usually in esports there are a lot of like protections against that. Um and streamers usually have pretty good protections against that. But I've I've heard that people are getting, you know, disconnected from their League of Legends games, not just like their internet's getting DDoSed at their house and they're, you know, losing their connection or ability to stream. Um and even though LCK is on an internal network, I suppose it is possible someone could have um gotten gotten some some information from someone and, and has been able to attack that it's very wild um that this is all happening and um it really does make you wonder about like is this a vulnerability that exists in esports or is this just something that something got leaked internally or, or something who knows if it is what happened um why the like protection wasn't there or if there's like a somehow a, a new exploit that's been found that could affect other leagues as well um so scary scary times um and i hope that whatever it is is resolved before the matches that are um are replayed and then obviously the matches that are going to be played next week otherwise it is going to be a crazy um c circumstance where we never know really what's up and what's down Initially, it looked like you know a lot of people were reporting that Lull Park had internet issues in general when the um, when the first like pause happened when the first ping issues were being described. Everyone was saying their internet was slow at Lull Park itself, um, but the stream you know for example was running fine. The broadcast was going through okay, so yeah, it was very puzzling. And and you know we never got an official statement on, on what the network issues were, so. I don't know well, if we and will. we're we're not, especially if it's going to be DDoS, because like they don't want to encourage other people to potentially do this, right? So it's understandable, I think, why Riot, if that's if that's what it was, would not be the ones willing to discuss this, because 
otherwise people might try and find that same exploit or figure out what worked. And as you say, it could potentially affect other leagues. Although it is, I think, a bit surprising. Like, look, we don't know exactly what the issue is, but, you know, there has to be some internet connectivity from the studio because you have to not only be able to play the games, but be able to broadcast the games as well. Yep. And it wasn't, it seemed like it wasn't just the broadcast that was being affected. It was actually players' ability to play the game with a reasonable amount of ping, right? Um, so I'm not sure exactly how they can fix this issue when you do consistently at least have to have that um you know that connectivity to the broadcast right yeah whether it's possible to fully isolate the player pcs if they need to pull the feeds um in order to broadcast it right because they have to have the observers in the game and then the they the observers are the ones that are going out to the broadcast so how you create layers of security on that i'm not exactly sure yeah Um, but it does seem difficult i also think that um you know the the matches that are rescheduled um you know if they're going to be played very soon like will probably um may not be broadcasted at all uh or may i mean this is just theory crafting or may actually um you know be like recorded not live and then a vod is posted just so yeah, that yeah. the vulnerability isn't there if if that is in fact what happened right so um you know i'd imagine you guys will get an update on it pretty soon um about what's going to happen on that but obviously right yeah, and pr- decide very carefully and for those of you who don't know, so typically, I mean, my experience in watching this match, so it was the DRX versus uh, D-plus match yesterday. It was a three-game match, and D-plus did end up winning in the end. But essentially, the delays were absolutely enormous. So this match started at 3 p.m. local time in Korea, and then there were pauses. And literally by like 9 p.m., the game was still going on because there had been five or six hours, basically, of pause times within this series. And it got so late that they ended up canceling or moving uh, the Kwangdong Breon second matchup of the evening, which still hasn't been played, which was supposed to be played after that series. And as Wolf says, we don't know if they're going to do it live or just kind of play it in isolation and then release the VOD later um, so as not to disrupt scheduling. So that's still up in the air, but they do have to reschedule that match. And I think, to be fair, like, that was the right call from the LCK. We've been critical of them before, but keeping the players there who had already been waiting six hours even longer and potentially for this issue to continue manifesting was not good. So I think it was absolutely the right call to postpone the matches and then figure out a time to play them later. There there was um recently in the Valorant League in Korea, the, the VCT Pacific League, a very long pause um that went on for like seven hours as well with uh you know I don't know exactly how long, but it seemed like it was like seven hours long where the players were reporting problems with their headsets and it was like a hardware problem and they just couldn't play the game. Uh, and they like went to overtime and they and they couldn't play it out. And then finally, they were able to resolve it and finish it, but they also postponed uh, the remaining matches that day. And this is actually, like, I know this sounds pretty like, oh, it's no-brainer, it's the right choice, but for Korean esports, historically, we fucking go. Like, we actually just yeah. do it until 4 a.m. <laughs> like, that's, in Korean esports, historically speaking, whether it's been StarCraft or any of this stuff, you just go until until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. That's Korean culture. That's like, we're not we're not actually going. People are not going to get paid twice to do this. We're actually just going to go, go, go. And then, you know, the, it just is what it is. It'd be what it be. The fans, if you want to go home, you can go home, whatever. It's kind of usually how it goes. But to see historically two times recently where games were postponed, I think is 
is really for from a Korean esports perspective quite unusual, but I think absolutely a move in the right direction that finally, you know, Riot and, and the LCK are deciding like, hey, competitive integrity, players first. Let I'm sorry to the fans, you get your refunds. I know this really sucks for everyone, but I'm actually gonna give the players the right um the right amount of like time to prep and sleep and, and come back and play this match at the best condition rather than just hard forcing it um for the sake of the show or for the sake of saving money or anything like that. So um, I absolutely think it's the right call. Uh, I'm glad it happened. It recently twice happened when it, both times I really did not expect that it was going to be postponed, but both times I was wrong. And now I'm, I'm kind of like, all right, cool. I guess we can trust that if something crazy like this happens again, no one's going to be playing League of Legends at, at two o'clock in the morning when they were supposed to play at like, you know, five, 6 PM. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I, I, I think that this issue we'll have to see if it resolves itself like obviously they're very aware of it now so i would assume that if it was some sort of ddos you know they will be able to you know change their ip and fix their security their network security protocols in a way that will make this very difficult if not impossible moving forward but we'll have to wait we'll have to wait and see all right before we talk about how absolutely fraudulent kt is wolf i do want to get your sense on something because i've been getting asked this a lot what do you think about Caria's response to the Ezreal pick and like the fan criticism surrounding it? Because what have you been seeing? It seems very weird that this has become such a big issue when he picked Ezreal and it was fine. Like, it's obviously not great, but he still was able to perform extremely well on it. And why why is he getting this backlash and what has been his response to it? So I, I haven't really seen his response to it per se that much, but I, I can tell you guys that the um the culture around moves like this in Korea is very different. And we we've talked about this on the show before. For example, when um here I decided to play the Challenger squad right. uh, and, and and win that way. And it's basically like in, in a way saying like I want to give these challengers players stage experience and we're gonna try try to train them up and it's an easier matchup for us and you know, blah blah blah. And a lot of people saw that move as extremely disrespectful to to live sandbox because they were like, well, this is, you know, you, you should just play a standard match and play professionally and, and do like the sportsmanlike thing, which is to just play a normal game and smash them. Um, but, you know, sometimes teams will do something a little bit odd or unusual, right, in, in esports in general when you know you're going to win. Or like, for example, sometimes it's a game that doesn't mean anything. Like if it's a regular season game where both teams, right. their playoffs and standings are already um, determined. I mean, a lot of people probably don't remember Naniwa pro-brushing Nesty in, in StarCraft 2 because the game literally didn't have any implications. And everyone was super hyped to see these two players play against each other. And then Naniwa just boxed his probes and sent them across the map because he didn't want to play the match, um, which is a very childish thing to do, right? And it, it made a lot of people very angry. But these types of things, like, for example, picking Ezreal, it is a really weird pick and it's not strong. And it felt like he was trolling and basically just trying to dunk on um, his opponent there. A lot of Korean fans don't like that. They think it's unsportsmanlike, and I think a lot of people think that that type of move shouldn't be championed, is the kind of like, okay, T1 is so good they could, like, you know, pick Teemo mid and probably still win, um, is, like, not something people want to champion. Uh, and my, I mean, my take on this is, like, he had an interesting build, like, he went Horizon Focus, it was kind of okay, and, you know, Ezreal was very strong on that patch, and I don't think this was as trolly or like unsportsmanlike as as people would 
<laughs> would make you believe. And and frankly, he can do whatever he wants. Like he has that power because his team is that strong, and he has that, um, you know, like he has that freedom. I think he's earned that freedom. But uh, I I think this is an issue that Western fans don't always understand because it's a very Korean mindset, the sportsman sportsmanship type concept about these types of things where um, a lot of people in the west would be like i'd love to see uh faker play timo actually and even though it doesn't make sense he totally destroys those guys um whereas uh, korean fans don't really like um that kind of showboating which is partially why you also see in interviews very rarely players um you know just shitting on the other team or or actually like being like western players being like wow i was way better than him or actually like really really being aggro you know, there's a lot of times we have these interviews where the the host puts up like a, a like a solo kill that happens, and then the Korean player gets like really uncomfortable because the truth is like like so keen like you you actually killed him under tower here like what happened and like it's very obviously a huge misplay from the other player who like totally messed it up and then like Keen gets a kill and Keen's just like, well I I think I got lucky actually I got lucky there yeah <laughs> I'm like that's as far as he's gonna no, say let me let me explain a different phenomenon to you guys and and this says a lot about korean culture is it's not that you can't showboat okay such as you know wolf's example about keen it's that you can't acknowledge that you're showboating so if you want a great example of this so if you guys are baseball fans you'll know that bat flipping in major league baseball in america is considered extremely bad form like if you hit a home run and you toss your bat in the air and it flips around afterwards in a very ostentatious way. What happens is the pitchers literally just start throwing balls directly at you. Like, you know, they the vengeance that will be wreaked upon you by the other team, even if it costs them like walks or other penalties, like you're just going to get the shit kicked out of you. you. Might start a fight like you just don't know. Now, in Korean baseball, so in the KBO. And actually, early in her career, Mina Kimes wrote a very good article for ESPN, the magazine, about bat flipping in the KBO. And what's hilarious is if you listen to these interviews. So in Korean baseball, bat flipping happens all the time. Like, players have their signature styles of bat flips. Like, it's a ceremony. But when she asked them about bat flipping, they all pretended not to know that it was being done. So literally, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like when they are throwing their bat like 20 feet into the air, like they clearly are very intentionally doing this, but you pretend like you're not doing it. And this is like the core of Korean culture. If something bad but entertaining is happening, it's allowed to happen, but you are not allowed to talk about it. Right, Wolf? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the, the bat phenomenon. I, I actually th I was going to bring that up as well, but you brought it up first. That, that's a great article that uh, the one that you mentioned by Mina Kimes. You guys should Google this and, and read it. It's it's really well, we'll, we'll include it in the description below. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely a, um, lack of acknowledgement. I think like you say is really the, the truth of it because you can say something subtle, but it can't be too aggressive. You can pick as real support, but you can't say like, this is a free win lol. Um, <laughs> you know, you can, that's why every single time we have the interview where our interview structure is very rigid at the LCK and the last question is always your next opponent is X. Um, how are you going to prepare for that? And even if it's like T1 is like, your next opponent is Breon and they haven't won any games. How are you going to prepare for that? Nobody goes like, oh, we're not even like thinking about that match. We're thinking about the other match during the week, actually. And, and you know, bros is free low. I'm going to pick support Israel. You know, nobody, nobody's going to say that, but they will 
maybe pick some support Ezreal and, and have fun. And, um, you know, like, I think um, this this type of, of uh, like, esports phenomena, because it, it is different from, like, traditional sports, and it is, like, a very international thing. Because even though you have the Korean fans, like, you have tons of fans in China, you have tons of fans in the U.S., Australia, Europe, etc., um, I think this might change eventually. Um, and you could see in esports where it's way more popular outside of Korea than it is in Korea that Korean players will do a little bit of showboating. Like, I mean, look at MC. Yeah. Look at MC and StarCraft as well. Yeah. Because, like, you have to remember StarCraft 2 is vastly more popular outside of Korea than it was inside Korea in terms of number of fans. So you, you got to see this, especially when these players would go to, like, MLGs, right, Wolf? Yeah, and also, you know, Overwatch League, you saw a lot of Korean players, you know, do a lot of funny stuff and, and get pretty aggressive at times because, um, I mean, Overwatch in general was had more viewers outside of Korea than did in Korea, even though it was still big in Korea for a really long time. Um, but they were also, you know, playing on stage and doing interviews on stage in front of a Western audience. So there, the, the expectation was very different. So um, I think that it's a little bit overblown, but if you, if you know how Korean fans are going to react, which every Korean player does and every coach knows, and you decide to pick support Ezreal, you're going to have to live with it. You know, you're going to have to live yep. with it. It's like, you know, when um, a lot of Korean um players did i won't name any names who boosted in overwatch for example and, and found out later that or they got they got caught and they were like well i just didn't know it was a bad thing i'm just gonna have to call major bs on that because it was the biggest issue of all time during that time whether you if you boost you are the devil it is evil you got to be aware of what the fans think and if you're going to pick support Ezreal, you're going to lock that in you you're going to know that some people are not going to be happy with that and that's that's kind of my final <laughs> my final say Wolf, I I pulled up the Mina Kimes article. It's it's called it's called what is it? The, great the art of letting go. It's called the art of letting go. And she, you know, here's a sample of an interview that she does with. And remember, she's half Korean herself. So when she talks to a a a, a batter named Choi Jun Sok, he she asks him the following question: Do you do anything special for your fans? Response, no. What does it feel like when you flip your bat? I'm not doing it on purpose, so I don't have any feeling. Are you aware that people overseas enjoy your flips? I'm not. <laughs> so it's so absurd. <laughs> I like how he just says, I'm not flipping my bat on purpose, as if every single time the bat just magically flies out of his hands in exactly the same way with his own signature flip style. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> and yet, for some reason, major other baseball players are able to hold on to their bats after they complete a hit. It's weird, right? They just, like, butter up those bats in Korea. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I, it, like, it, it is what it is, you know? And I think a, a lot of... Um... Korean culture will change and adapt, you know, over the next five, ten years about this type of thing. I guess in esports, especially as it's a very international thing, you know, you have viewers all over the world. But uh, I, I, I do think that you got to know. Like I said, my 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 real final thoughts on this is like you got to know that if you if you do this behavior, <laughs> that some people aren't going to like it. 
and then you you're gonna have to to live with it um if you want to be the guy who goes against the grind and or go, goes against the the korean mentality of of like don't acknowledge the the bat flip um then you can be that guy but there's going to be pushback on you. So, <laughs> like Karyak gets to play like, you know, Caitlyn support when it's good and when it's strong. Um, and that's fine. But if he plays, Ezreal's I just don't understand where the line good. is. Well, if it's like he can, he can play Jin support, but Ezreal, that is the, he, if he plays Ezreal support and does the most damage in the whole fucking game, that's the line wolf. He's not, that's illegal. That's an illegal Ezreal. <laughs> I don't understand. It's like the thing, the strange thing is it's like, it's not even so like, it's not even so outside of his norm, right? He is the guy who plays 80 carries from the support position. So why is this one? Why is this one crossing the line? That's what confused me. I just think everybody thinks Ezreal support sucks. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, last time when we talked about this, I was like, I don't think we'll ever see this pick again. Um, I mean, it was, I, it, it worked because you know, they were much better than their opponents, but yes, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I mean, any right. support that you hard stomp with, if you hard stomp hard enough, like will actually be viable. So sure. That's, that's a true statement. That's a true statement. Um, so, guys, it's time for us to revel, or in some cases, if you're Wolf, apologize for being wrong about KT being wrong. So, look, what's wrong? I have to, I have to admit, I did not think that the reckoning would come so quickly. <laughs> I think, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I think it's time for KT to change their um their nickname back to their old original first Brood War nickname, KTF. <laughs> Uh, which these fraudulent because they were fraudulent <laughs> sweet Monty. And you know what? You were right. And I even gave you a shout out on the desk when they got absolutely I know. obliterated because they were extremely found out. They were exposed <laughs> on the highest level. Um, and you know what? I guess when they beat Genji, it was just because they got Senna twice, and Senna is so broken, and Genji didn't have the answer because every team thinks they have the answer to Senna, but they do not. Um, that's why they won because they got Senna two games in a row. Also, Canyon playing Jin Zhao and Jarvan, you know, I, they had switched up their style. And yeah, we've seen some Lee Sin games from Genji since, but I, I, that game was also just so low quality in general. Like Gen G was hard throwing a lot of times. So was KT and KT was the one who ended up catching the wins at the end. But we thought Wolf that it was going to be safe, even with KT as an underdog to like put our money on esports bet on KT versus Hanmo life. I mistakes were made. You know, I thought that perhaps BDD would be able just to clown on Zeka. But you know what? Of course, Zeka had to go back to playing his Yone and, you know, doing things that made sense for him instead of playing Corky this week. So, of course, that had to happen, number one. Of course, we have to see Pioshik completely being terrible. Of course, we have to see the very questionable Senna Ash lane, which, by the way, what was successfully ran by top esports is an LPL thing that I guess they've kind of brought over. I have never been impressed with it, even within the wins uh, that this composition can, ha like has had. And they get dunked on by Viper on Jin. Like they give Delight Rakan two games in a row. Delight has some massive games. It just feel it felt like for Hanwha, everything was going back to what made them good originally. Like these are the classic champs: Delight Rakan, 
Yone or or melee mid laners uh, for Zeka where he's popping off, right? Cool. Peanut on Sejuani and Maokai where he gets to control the the te- the, the pace of the engage of the team and be the frontline tank. I mean, the the first game, the first game where uh, the first Hanwha game where they had, I'm just looking at the draft to make sure that I have everything remembered. Yeah, they went for the Alistair pick with Deft, which has been a kind of classic with Smolder um, recently. They went that that route, and Deft had a ton of stacks. He was extremely big. He was super fed, and I remember they they had like the game. It wasn't like they were hard winning, but they had the game in a pretty good game state. Smolders, he scaled up. He's got his uh his third evolution of his Q. He's stacking that really hard. Um, and I didn't really like it. You know, we've seen a lot of different builds with Smolder. I didn't really like Deft to build that much in that game. But anyway, um, there's a team fight on Baron that I remember where everybody just kind of walks in and on top of it, like all together on top of Delights for Connell. And that's the first fight that Hanwha Life wins in the late game that's super decisive and they gain. Baron off of that, and they gain a ton of, of map control off of that, and then it's just really hard for KT to come back after that uh, against the super-fed Yone, and um, they just didn't have the range either. Like, Smolder's weakness is, is low range. Like, you can Q people, but only if you're winning the fight, because if you get into Q range on top of a Yone, for example, you better hope that, like, he's CC'd, or the fight is already kind of so in your favor, you can just keep pressing Q on cooldown and execute people. Um, but if you're kind of trying to win a poke war with your W that does literally less than zero damage against Varus. Um, you know, you, you need engage, you need some sort of tool to get on top of him. But they kind of just were super sloppy, and that game was super disappointing to me because I thought they had a decent draft, I thought they had um, their win condition set, and then they kind of just walked, uh, you know, into a like manhole and, f- and fell down like very comically like that's well, like what it felt like to me <laughs> i mean there were there were several issues like it just the execution of this comp was so wacky as well because for example piosha kept vi ulting sejuani like especially after sejuani had used sejuani ult which d- like didn't make any sense so they were using critical cooldowns on like frontliners who had already used cooldowns themselves on top of that wolf like Perfect was completely fucking useless on this Aatrox, like actually did nothing. Zero people built any kind of tankiness in this composition while we have this incredibly fed lethality Varus who is doing obscene amounts of damage. Like Viper is absolutely popping off this game uh, and they they can't sustain any of the pokes. So even though you have death, deft on like 400, 500 stacks, it's a 55 minute game. Because they don't have a front line, they actually just can't, they can't snowball this game. And they continuously make mistakes where instead of peeling for deft, they're like violating a Sejuani and then losing the fight. Yeah, exactly. And like Viper, I think he ended up even getting POG that game, but he, he played extremely well. His spacing was good. And this is what I'm saying. If you don't have engage and your front line is an Aatrox that has like plated steel caps as his only tanky stat, um... If he gets hit by a Varus combo as well as he's trying to push through the front line that he, that actually does exist and there's a Yone there, he just dies and he can't actually get to the Varus. So you have to be winning so hard that you have total map control. They have to come to you. Like it has to be that you know the 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 enemy team has to force their way and Peanut needs to be like coming in and looking for and fishing for ults or trying to flank a Smolder and then maybe a flanking Recon. That kind of stuff has to happen and then 
you can win those fights front to back, even though you don't have a great front line because you're the one who's dictating the pace of turning a Baron, for example. But once they lost that fight on Baron, there was just no no way back in. Um, and you can keep Smolder W and keep getting more stacks, but it's not going to change the fact. It's not going to give you uh, suddenly Smolder's Q range is going to double and then he's going to be able to Q Varus and, and poke him out. It's just not going to happen. I was hoping that Deft would have built the Andres in this game. We've seen a lot of Smolder yes. build the Andres and just kind of slowly burn them at least so that you can offer some sort of poke back with the W and, and the ultimate from from Smolder. He didn't do it. I think KT were pretty woefully unprepared for this composition that they ran, uh, and they got punished, you know? And I, I think that that was the first worry. The second game was just not even a game. Like, the Jin game you, you referenced, <laughs> like, not even a game of League of Legends. And the, the Ash the, the Ash Siver is fine with me. Like, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I think what it can do in lane is quite strong, and um, BD Talia I normally trust. But they just took a bunch of dumb fights and skirmishes and lost the game like around red buff and then like did it again and then they like did it again and i was like okay well this game is just over like it's not even a professional game of league of legends um and i did not think i mean i i even though last week i made the case that kt was not fraudulent i did not think kt was going to get bodied by hanwa i did not think hanwa was going to actually make them look like an east side team but in game two that's what they did <laughs> yeah. I look, I, I think the Siver, the Siver Ash composition can work. People just have to remember that Siver, while great in terms of team fighting, also can be played in pick comps. And T1 did that a lot, like in the last couple of years with Siver. When they play Siver, it's not about Siver team fighting, it's about Siver collapsing onto a flank or using speed to catch out somebody in the side lane. And that's what this composition, particularly with Ash and Talia, is, right? It's about getting somebody on their own and killing them quickly. And they didn't do that. Like they're playing this composition, not as a pick comp. And if you are, if you are not going to do that, you actually just don't have the ability to fight against, you know, the Yone and the Maokai in a front to back. Like you will, you, your back line is going to get destroyed. Um, it, you're going to receive a bunch of poke from the gin in this case, or you're going to get engaged on because Sivir is still relatively low range by a Rakan or a Maokai or a Yone. And so you have to play for picks and they weren't doing that, which meant that this composition just doesn't function. Yeah. I, I think the, the, like the drafts we saw from KT were very unlike them and that they were really thinking very much outside of the box. I think KT generally plays their own style and the style that they've mastered. Um, and even that was true very much so last year. And so far this season has mostly been true. Like we're not seeing too many like super strange or, or weird picks from them. Um, Nico being disabled also kind of hurts them because BD is a really good Nico player. It's often banned against him. And I think that was another play style that BD and Pioshik really liked is just play Nico um, and then hard engage and play dive. They didn't have that opportunity because they, you know, it's, it's disabled um, or was disabled last week. So they they really thought too far outside of the box on that Siver composition. And like BD is still playing Talia, but they didn't dominate the lane. Because the idea is like you dominate the lane, Talia gets some level of control in Weaver's Wall down to the bottom lane. You set up some, some really nice picks down there. You can... Ash Arrow into like Talia flip and kill people and Sivir gets super ahead. The Jin just becomes irrelevant. Like I, I get the idea behind the draft, but the execution and the hard forcing 
without control, the hard forcing when there is a Yone on the other team, and you don't have that that level of control in mid lane with the the Talia that you can in a lot of other matchups, like that he often has against Azir, for example. You could force those things to happen, but they were just so disjointed, and it felt very much like a scrim that went wrong. Um, and I think that one other thing that became very evident was KT played very emotionally, I feel like, in this series. After that first team fight on Baron, made a lot of mistakes after that, and then came into the second game just extremely disheartened and very sloppy. I think for a team that has three-fifths of the DRX 2022 World Championship roster that dealt with a ton of adversity and a ton of craziness, like the inhibitor respawning on Deft and stuff like that. Um, it's a little bit surprising to see that they seem very much uh, distraught after a loss like that. And we'll see if they can turn it around. But I thought maybe we were, like, I was so high on KT, I thought maybe we were living in a world where they're on top three trajectory. Like, this team might end up being, like, second-best team in the LCK if they can continue to improve. I'm not feeling like that way at all right now. Not even close. I'm on the I'm on the fraud train too. I'm 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 not a believer. I'm sorry everyone for being a believer. This is this is where they this is where they of course they will get good again, Wolf. Um let's talk also about the the telecom war because I I'll be honest, Wolf, I thought they were going to take a game off of this one. I thought they were going to take a game. Uh and instead they just got completely stomped in both games. Well, they did give Senna over to T1. <laughs> Not sure why they did that. Not sure. I think that's a bad plan. I, I mean, what I think about their compositions is that in game one, they just played to win lane. And then win game. Um, when they didn't win lane and then win game, um, then like then they if they don't win lane, then they don't win game. Like they gave up second Drake. You know, I love how they try and pinch Faker's champion pool by, you know, you see the Azir ban versus BDD. Okay, they ban Ori, then they ban Huey, and you take the Karma away, and Nico's disabled. But guess what's still there, Wolf? What's still there? It's Corky. Oh, it's Corky. <laughs> and Corky has the package. And so it's second Drake when you're trying to win lane and stack Drakes with Callista. Oh, he just comes in, wins the team fight, and there you go. Like, then you can't stack the Drakes. You actually, and I hate that teams are doing this, Wolf. They actually just run a composition without any form of primary engage besides throwing Renata Glask at their face with Callista Old. No, Flash Callista Old. It's, it's, it's totally viable. Monty, come on. Handshake exists. I, they, they, they run a composition that is incredibly low range outside of Karma Poke. It's like, Low range Callista, Renata Glask, Jin Zhao, and Udyr with some Karma Poke. And they try and play it into a mid to late game Corky and Senna. Like, if you do not smash lane and win off of Drake stacks, you just straight lose this game. You have no way to engage. You have no way to deal damage. You get poked out. You get out sustained by Senna. And that's, that's what happened. And when you also have a farming Nautilus who's going to get incredibly tanky. Where is the damage, Wolf, with this composition? Where is it? Who it's, is supposed to be doing damage? BDD, I guess. But, like, the 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 concept of this draft for me is, like, okay, if, if you win every Drake fight or you force T1 to avoid the Drakes, right? And if you if you win lane support, which they initially did, especially in mid lane and, and top lane, because 
There's nothing a Corky can do against a Karma uh, on this patch. It's just not going to happen. Perfect was able to successfully like proxy minions behind the turret. He was yep. winning the lane super hard. Um, first dragon went well. Second dragon botched it. Harold completely botched it. Game's over. And you make yep. one mistake with this comp, and it's a hundred percent over. It's um, you know, it's it's one of those all in types of comp where yes. you you have to be winning all the time. And KT is very good at snowballing these types of games, and they've done it multiple sure. times this season. Um. It's what they did to D plus actually in the first week of play. And look, I, I I don't like this composition, but I don't mind you running it in the first game of a best of three. Yeah. If you have an, another plan, like it's it's a gamble that you're taking. Right? You, yeah, it, it, it's oppressive and it's frustrating to play against. And if you lose a game like this as T1, it's very disheartening. Then that could warp your draft for the best of three. Like I, I, I'm totally with you. Game one, go for this. But the execution wasn't good enough to, to make me trust that they had planned this out well enough. And just this style of composition into Senna has failed so many times against the good teams. Like they almost never lose to this. So it just felt, it felt like they were really trying to hard force something that, you know, just wasn't likely to succeed. Like just ban the Senna. They did in game two. And we had another, another story there, but. <laughs> the thing is, well, I liked their KT's draft in game two. I, I liked it. I really liked what, what KT was pulling out. Sure, you give up the Oriana to Faker. He's been super good. But you get the Azir on BDD, one of his signature champions, right? You get Varus onto Deft. And you get the counter pick. And Perfect has been very good in the NAR matchup into Cassante this season. Like, as it's been his best matchup, I think we can say, uh, as a rookie. And you pick the Wukong. Not a common pick right now. But you need threat onto Smolder. Right, so you actually have backline backline dive versus the smolder. I was hyped, man. I was like, they've got all the answers. I think they can pull this off. And then what do they do? They immediately invade the jungle at like level three. Like we we see Def take an incredibly terrible trade in the bot lane where he sees Caria hit level two on Alistair. He stands there charging his Q. and then just gets punted into a turret, loses entire health. And then on top of that, Bioshik's like. Well, my Varus doesn't have an HP bar anymore. Should I walk into enemy jungle and try and fight them? Oh, I'm dead, and I got everybody killed, and the game is over. Barrel is also like, I'm also going to go in with Pyoshik. And then Smolder <laughs> just flap, flap, flaps around and blows up depth. <laughs> or like, I say blows up. He like, you know when Smolder in the early levels, when you, when you press E and he does like, his like little damage numbers pop up and it's like four damage, four damage, four yeah. damage. Like, it's like, he just doesn't hurt you actually at all. It's so funny. Like, um, and then he actually is able to kill Avaris because of the whole disaster. So a Smolder is accelerated. The game is done. Like, I didn't like, I didn't like the draft that much for, for KT because I think it's not a, a draft that suits their play style. Um, and I think like Wukong on paper, in theory, yeah, he, he should be able to get on top of a smolder, but you're dealing with an Alistair, you're dealing with um, Faker's Oriana, and they got Vi into your Varus, so the, I feel like you you gave T1 a comp that allows for not only scaling, but also aggressive outplays, and um, it's just going to be super volatile. And T1 thrives in these volatile games because they're so good at reading game states, they're so good at turning you know, what looks like a 5v3 fight into a horrible fight where actually it's a really good TP angle or Faker survives long enough, so much damage is done and he dies, but then T1 show up and, and KT's at half health, you know, these types of 
skirmishes and fights um, that Smolder can actually be quite good at because it allows him to constantly stack out of the team fights, the skirmishes that are happening. And you have to kind of opt into this type of aggression with the Wukong. Um, it just feels like you're asking for another game, just like game one, where you have to dominate the whole time, no mistakes, not even one error can happen or you lose. And then they very aggressively made the the errors that we talked about in the bottom lane. And uh, Well, I just, I, I mean, I can't, Def just played horribly this game. Like he didn't, it's like he didn't know what Alistair did a lot of the time. He refused to flash Alistair engages even when Caria was coming right at him. He wasn't respecting Alistair ranges. It was, it was really sad to watch Def play. Yeah, I don't know what was up with that. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about the uh, Hanwha series, KT just seemed a little um, emotionally invested in these games. Like I, the gameplay we're seeing after game one losses and game two is in both series is just very disheartening. And it's not the level of play that we know, even when you thought they were fraudulent, we were going to see, um, you know, last week. Like we're just not seeing Death's best. And we know he knows what Alistair does and we know that he can flash those because he's deft and he's one of the most accomplished <laughs> AD carries of all time but yet he does not so I don't know what it means I don't know what's going on within the team um, but my read is that this team is kind of um, you know getting emotional and getting getting tilted after these losses and just not playing their best in these game twos and that was one of the fun things about KT in Telecom Wars over the last few is that it's actually, you know, KT keeps it together. They they come in strong, they come in with a good plan, and they bring us to three, even if they don't win it, right? And yep, um, it was pretty disappointing Saturday showdown, to be honest. Yeah. T1 still looks very confident and poised, though. I mean, they they are the team to beat at, at this juncture, right? Like, I think they looked good in both of these games. Yeah, I think right now that they're better than Gen G. Um, I think they're the strongest yep. team in, in the LCK. And they have shown us some of those, like, you know, happy games, as we like to call them, you know, so a little bit of Ezreal support. But they have also shown us just really good drafting and not a whole lot of holes are exposed. You know, last um, summer, you know, Faker's champion pool actually at that moment in time seemed really... Uh, it's tiny, and we were like, okay, well, he there's a clear weakness here. It's very exploitable. I don't right. feel like there's a very big weakness on this roster at all at the at this moment in time. Whereas I feel like on Genji, um, there definitely seem to be some issues with Canyon's champion pool and how they want to play around him. There seem to be some issues with um, how Pays and the Hens are playing together. It's not like yeah. glaring weakness. It's not like I don't. I'm not saying Genji is a bad team by any means, but I think that T1 just looked that 10% cleaner, that 10% more the full package. And so, you know, as we hit the midway point of the season um, this week, I I'm leaning towards T1 is is going to be the one that ends up winning regular season, as we you know we knew it was very likely, but I feel like now it's 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 kind of like before it was like oh but maybe Genji could beat them. You know, in that second Gen G T1 match, now I'm feeling like T1 will probably crush them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we still have a few more weeks to go, a few more patches to go. So we'll see. I mean, I, like, honestly, the, the if Zeri is going to, like, return to the meta as the handshake matchup with Smolder or with Senna, um, that might be 
a little bit concerning for T1 because Guma has never been that good of a, a Zeri player, especially compared to some other players in this league, like aiming or, um, uh, or pays, right. Who have been like ma major Zeri players within the LCK. So that might be a little bit concerning, but I imagine they'll probably just rein Zeri in as time goes on. Yeah. I also think that T1, even in Zeri metas, yeah, Guma didn't play very often. He wasn't very good at it. I mean, compared to the elite Zeri players in the league. Right. Um, they still were able to find wins against it and ban it and do other stuff. So, and by now, maybe he's improved on the, on the champion because it's been a long time. Sure. And it's been his, his more recent Zeri games were a lot better, but it was kind of at the tail end of that Zeri meta. Yeah. Um, All right, guys. Now, we just had a lot of conversations about KT Rolster and why they have been fraudulent. And so, of course, this week on our match predictions, Wolf, are we going to pick KT Rolster again? Feels feels like a trap, but I think I think so, Monty. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm ready to pick So we got we got Giga burned. And we're calling them fraudulent. But it turns out that the only team more fraudulent than KT Rolster is, in fact, D+. <laughs> so, with that in mind, we do, later this week, have a match between KT Rolster and D+. And that match currently has nearly even odds. 1.893 for KT versus 1.935 for D+. So, the very, very slight favorite, but we are, in fact, going to put a thousand down onto the very fraudulent KT Rolster because even in spite of all the issues, they had winnable drafts in both games. I think it it wasn't the drafts. Yes, they they've messed it up, but my God, D plus has been. If Showmaker doesn't giga carry this team, they look completely lost. Yeah, it took them seven hours to beat DRX. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I just really wanted to say that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think D plus is D plus is super weird because ever since last year, they have only stomped in every win they get. You know what I mean? Like when it was Canyon gets POG every game and he is like leading. Um, he was like number one in, in MVPs, like with with uh, Zeka. Um, I think they ended up tying because every single game that they won, he just popped off and Showmaker's winning lane. So he has Pryo and he's doing things. Otherwise, they just looked completely clueless. And, and like, you change the whole roster practically and it's still the same thing where it's like, okay, either Showmaker is popping off and they're absolutely stomping or they look completely lost. Like, this team in 2020, 2021, um, early 2022, you could argue had such a good understanding of their win conditions. No matter what the game state was, they, I, this is what I loved about Damwon in 2021. No matter what, even if they were like 6,000 gold down, they might find the exact right clutch call, amazing team fight to suddenly swing the game back in their favor. You could never count this team out. And I feel like nowadays, I look at the game clock around 12 to 15 minutes. I look at Showmaker's KDA and the gold numbers, and I could tell you at that moment whether it's going to be a D-plus win or not. Are they 4,000 gold ahead, and Showmaker is laughing his ass off on the player cams? Yeah, they got this. 
um, is everything calm and collected? And, uh, you know, we went one and one on dragons and, you know, maybe Kingen had a whoopsie in the top lane. Oh, they're not winning that one. It's going, it's, <laughs> if they win it, it's going to be like a 40 minute game. Uh, and that's, and that's kind of like, we've talked about the shot calling. We've talked about D plus so much over the last few weeks and like, it's just not changing. And then they smashed DRX last week. Not, not the recent one with the pauses and stuff. Like when they beat DRX last week, Everyone's like, oh, they're so back. I'm like, no, they just they, they crushed DRX. They're not so back. This is what they always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they're not so bad that they're not going to beat the bottom teams, but I do feel like they're the gatekeepers of the playoffs now, and KT are a much better team than them, which is reflected in the odds, guys. But I, I think like I am I am hopeful that KT is not this fraudulent. Well, surely they're not this. Even I don't think they're this fraudulent. No, they're okay. just not. They're just not top. <laughs> top three in the lck they're not top three in the lck <laughs> all right and as for as for esports bet guys we do have some promotions um we do have a qr code that was just on your screen and i think you can come back now um which if you scan it it is a uh an invitation to their tele uh their telegram group and if you join that it's a you can get a free USDT five uh, $5 giveaway. So you get that for joining the, the group there for Telegram. And on top of that, we still have a variety of promotions, including the promo code seven, LFN777. If you go to the promotions tab of eSports Bet, click that and then type the LFN777 into the box in the upper right corner. That is where um, you can get a promotion for up to uh, two hundred dollars uh, USDT um, deposit bonus, and you can get this if you're a new fan or if you've already had an esports bet account for a long time. So you get a two hundred percent deposit bonus up to two hundred dollars USDT, or it's equivalent in another cryptocurrency. You can see the terms when you go ahead and click on that. And finally, guys. Uh, we have brought back our match of the week. We will be discussing that on Competitive Edge, which is the video that Thorne and I do on the Esports Bet YouTube channel. So head on over there, and we're giving away, we're doing giveaways for that. So the way to enter is first off, if you just create an account at Esports Bet using our referral code, which is on our screen, or you can click the link below, uh, you'll be entered to win up to twenty dollars USDT. Uh, or if you comment with your Esports Bet username on Competitive Edge, you will be entered. Uh, and also if you bet $10 on our match of the week, then you will get entered into that USDT, um, contest, but it will be doubled. So you can win up to 40 if you actually place a wager of $10 or more onto that. So plenty of ways to, uh, get free money onto esports bet deposit bonuses, telegram group giveaways, match of the week giveaways. So be sure to check out competitive edge on our other shows and our other shows to learn about our match of the week. So thank you very much to esports bet. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, of course. Um, do you want to talk about Kwangdong giving up their first win to Breon? Because that was a bit of a surprise. Because I thought Breon might actually achieve the 018 Dream Wolf. I mean, everybody thought it was going to be, I mean, at least on our side, like on the on the English side, we all thought uh, definitely it's going to be the um, the the winless season. Like, we were already kind of like, I guess this is it. Like, I guess this is happening. Um, and then... But then Smolder was released, which allows bad teams to win games. I guess so... <laughs> Um, that game, I, I had to pull up the draft. I couldn't remember if it was game two or game three. The, 
the final game, the Smolder versus Ezreal yep. game, that was not LCK level League of Legends on either side. <laughs> that game was just not that was that was not it. That was not a that was not a high level game of League of Legends. Um, I think Kwangdong, Kwangdong in general is a team that it definitely feels like CV Max is pulling the strings. Like I I feel like he's 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 got his like um you know marionette type like setup where you, you can see he's like up at the top he's a puppet master um and then sometimes like the strings get a little bit tied and i feel like the <laughs> players don't know what he's trying to tell them to do like they're not really sure what the draft is is supposed he's, to do he's developing players wolf like you know sometimes you just you have to go with garen or like Ser- i like the seraphine pick to be fair, I like the Seraphine pick a lot into this molder. Oh sure, um, and I think that 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 is like that's okay. Um, it's that that game also was like the game where Karis was like rise ulting on top of himself. Um, <laughs> forgot about that. Where's yeah. Pool Bay, Wolf? I was told that Pool Bay was joining so, this roster. So Pool Bay has joined this roster, and um. It's really funny because he joined right after we did the show last week. It was like announced like an hour later or something. He uh, he's pretty good. I, I I will warn people that Pool Bay was really hyped when he was um in his like first years on D plus when they were doing really well in challengers and people were like, oh, this guy's really good. Um, but then he fell off pretty hard. And I would tell you guys that he is significantly weaker of a player than like thanatos and Lu- uh, thanatos and lucid who were the two like other players on d plus that everyone was really excited for so he's good like but get, don't get me wrong he's not like the the next rookie who's going to change the world and bro got him is he better than karas i think so um but then karas had a pretty good um game earlier in the week so they didn't they didn't actually have him so he was this game uh, the Kwangdong game was still in round one, I believe. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. I'm like trying to see if I remember this right. I need to open up the schedule. Yeah, it was the last game of round one. Um, so he wasn't eligible for the first Kwangdong one. And as far as I know, he was not on the starting original starting roster for the scheduled match fifty that was postponed. Um, so. I don't know if he'll be playing, but he wasn't eligible to play in this match. Um, the one that we're talking about, the Kwang, the first Kwangdong series. The second one hasn't happened yet. Um, I think he will play eventually, but he, I know he wasn't, or at least on the original iteration of the match, supposed to be starting. So I don't know what that means about what Burrow is doing um, with their their lineup. We'll find out next week, or maybe even sooner, depending on what happens with the the replay of the match. But... Kwang, I, this this series to me, a lot of people are like, "Oh, bro, good enough to be ninth place in the LCK." I'm like, I'm like well, no. hold on, hold on, hold on." Like, <laughs> like, look, I I I hated that last draft uh, that we saw from Kwangdong because there was uh, unlike the previous game, right, <clears throat> where you have a Lee Sin who can get into the back line under the smolder, where you have long range damage that can go over the entire team. Like you can, you can send a ult or you can Seraphine ult in order to get the smolder into the back line. Like you could dive back there with Poppy. There was just no threat onto this smolder. And like watching this game, how the fuck are they ever supposed to kill this smolder wolf? Like he literally just has a tank line of 
Nautilus and Sejuani in front of him. And sure, Bull can poke a little bit, but there's no actual thing that prevents him from free firing onto your front line. And by the time we reach the late game, you know, 40 minutes into this game, it's it's you you really see the struggles of Kwangdong as they're trying to like figure out how to kill this guy, and they just can't do it. Like they can't put damage onto the smolder. So he just procs Q across everybody and blows them up. It's kind of reminiscent to some of the drafts we talked about earlier, um, with the telecom war, where you need to win super hard early and the Karma Israel lane needs to be yes, dominate knives. You need the Talia to come down. Like you need to dominate so hard that Talia can Weaver's wall down and Maokai can just press R towards the yep. bottom turret. It's, and it's also e easy to execute, Wolf. Yeah. Like here's the thing. Yes, it requires snowballing, like you're saying, but how how fucking hard is it to dive this smolder when you have Talia wall? Oh, uh, what about diving with Karma Ezreal? What you have Karma Shields, you have Karma Speed, you have Ezreal E to get out. Uh, you have, as you say, Wolf. Maokai, Maokai R just to ult the turret. Yeah. Like they should have it's actually to... just the easiest dive composition of all time. They should have been able to put the smolder down 40, 50 CS and deny him farm <laughs> and deny him stack farm, right? And grab plate gold. No, they didn't do it. And like that's why I'm saying like the strings got disconnected because CV Max put a draft together that could be absolutely pilotable should be especially considering you're the by far the stronger team like you should absolutely be able to punish the smolder i don't think this is a necessarily draft problem but it the draft has problems if you do not do those things right if you do not do those things the issues you described become a problem you can't kill the smolder you have to snowball it you have to make him not a champion you have to make him a paperweight otherwise he is going to grow into the late game powerhouse that he is designed to be and he, even with his mediocre escape, like will be fine against this cop. You won't be able to kill him because you don't have a reliable way to lock him down. Maokai ult is your best bet, and there's just too many people who can block for him. So he's gonna yeah, be exactly. Fine. He's gonna be fine. So that that's you know, if you there's so many teams in the LCK right now who have a draft that can work, and the coaching staff clearly knows how to do it. Well, the players boot into the game and they're like. <laughs> You know, even like you'll see, we've seen smolder teams go, we're the scaling comp. So I guess we need to force this fight on Dragon right now. We don't have vision. I'm like, no, you need to just farm. That's what your comp is supposed to do. And uh, I, I feel like there's definitely either players are ignoring their coaches' wisdom or there's like weak coaching going on this, this season of LCK where no one is really telling the players how they need to play out the comps they're being given. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's depressing to watch. I mean, I, I also think, though, that the coaches shouldn't be doing this, you know, for teams like KT or teams like Guangdong, because really, especially Guangdong, their laning phase has not been the best. If we're being honest, like especially Bulldogs laning phase has not been great where they've sh where they've really been shining is in like mid and late game macro decision making. So why are we doing these comps that require them to force super hard in the laning phase? Now, maybe CV Max, you know, thought this was a great time to practice this because it's against Breon and they need to get better at this. That's totally a legitimate take that you could have. Yep. And I think that CV Max does experiment a lot to teach players lessons. And in a way, 
I would rather see him do this versus the worst teams because that's where the players can grow. And what we want is for Kwangdong to be a kind of legitimate playoff team. And like the way you get there is not by running the same shit over and over and over again. It's by developing your, your player skill sets over time. Now, unfortunately, like, you know, this style of composition wolf requires the youngest players on this team to have to do this. Like they have to execute through mid and bot lane, which is not where the veterans are. And certainly cuz can be helping by calling this out, but the rest of his team has to set him up for a success. It is easier for this team objectively to play through doo-doo right now than it is to play through their mid and bot lane. And like this required significant mid bot lane synergy with the Talia and the dives to work out. Right. And it didn't. It didn't. And like, I hope they learn how to pilot drafts like this because they should be able to. And it is, as we said many times, very basic. But um, my issue is with with these types of comps, the same thing with the KT stuff, is it narrows your win conditions um, so heavily. that it, that And a lot of teams are just more reliant on good late game team fighting and playing on even yeah. footing. Um, the meta hasn't been like that for a really long time where we just kind of sit back and farm and you have two scaling 80 carries bot and everybody just um, tries to make plays around dragons and otherwise like don't interact, don't dive, don't don't hard force. Um, and I think Kwangdong is a team that thrives in that type of meta more because they're a little bit more of a slow and steady wins the race. Bulldog wants to scale up on a Quirky or on a Hui and, and do damage later on. But if you want to, you know, improve your like repertoire of champions and you want to actually grow your skill set, you will have to play these games sometimes. But now you lost a game to Bro because you couldn't do it. And so there are heavy consequences um for them. And I still think they're way better than Bro. I still think this is a fluke. I think it was weird. Um but I, maybe it's gonna come as a good wake up call for Quandong because as we've you know discussed a lot here, Quandong is the team that, at least for me, is the most exciting team in the LCK right now because yes. there have been such clear improvements. Like this team is actually on a in an upwards trajectory. Yeah, and their playstyle is unique. I I love this team and I want them to to be successful. So I'm hoping this is a good wake up call for them. I think it will be. And plus, they have another game. You know, whenever it gets rescheduled versus Brian, right? Um, so I I think that they will definitely bounce back from this, and I'd <clears throat> I'd rather have them kind of deal with this at this point in time and grow um because they've got a very tough match you know this they, they're starting out with genji it's our first match this week on wednesday so you know this week's going to be a lot harder and hopefully they've learned enough to like put up a competitive match against genji yeah and they have that rescheduled bro match as well so they have yeah that that who knows when that's going to happen that's play adding adding some additional stress and then yeah they have that tough genji match the last time they played against Genji, they um, played a pretty close first game against Genji, which was really exciting. And then they, um, I want to say, beat them at the end of the season in summer as well. Last time, kind of uh, randomly, they have played some weird, good games against Genji historically. So that one is one that I'm I'm looking forward to a lot. And then they face off against uh, Nongshim. So. Kind of a lopsided week in that way, like the uh, very front heavy. Uh, they should be able to beat Nongshim if they drop to after dropping to Bro. There is a world where, for example, they lose to Bro again because of the the rescheduled match, then lose to Genji, and then if they lose to Nongshim, like oh no, it's the mid season Kwangdong collapse. I've seen it before. I don't <laughs> no. want it. 
it's look they they actually have such a big advantage already wolf like we expect them to be Breon again which will put them at six and four overall i mean they could have been seven and three which is like really crazy like they could have just been fourth place if they had just beaten Breon twice um but as it stands right now like kwangdong's in a pretty good position considering that fear x is the only is the next team out of the playoffs and they're three and seven um so kwangdong is like almost certainly going to be a playoff team as long as they don't completely collapse yeah and i don't you know we don't talk about them very much on this show because they haven't done very much interesting stuff but like i don't think fear x is going to suddenly no. um <laughs> get good and I no. hate to say that actually about Fear X. Like we don't talk about I feel like we don't talk about them on this show almost ever just because they're so They're the most boring team in the league. Most boring, they're the most boring team. You know that you know what you're gonna get, which is disappointment, like every time. <laughs> you know how close it plays. Well, it, 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 it's just like there's not even though I actually think that Willer probably deserves to be on a better team. Yes. Right. The the problem is, is that there's nothing really exciting or unknown. Like with Breon, it's interesting how much they suck. Okay. <laughs> with with DRX, they've got some rookies on there that we can evaluate. With Nongshim, I think Nongshim's actually performing much better than VRX and like better than their results would show. Like if you just look at yeah. Sylvie's had some really pop-off games, like they have hype moments. Hwangnong is clearly exciting because they're actually beating other potential playoff teams and look like they're clearly improving. D-plus might suck, but they have legacy players who are world champions, so we talk about them. There is nothing going on at Ferex. Nothing. There is nothing worth talking about. Nothing interesting. There is no upside. They're, like, better than these some of these other teams, but they're never going to get better than they are right now. And that's just life, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I just feel like Ferex is a team that is you know we we talk about all the time like why why do uh why isn't thanatos playing why didn't they call him up like why why are these rosters not utilizing some of the new talent in korea why are they sticking with some of the old guard and the old players is if you put a roster together like what Ferex has where you don't have any superstar famous player no one even remembers your games and like clear was kind of hyped a little bit before he came onto the scene because of his challenges performances which were pretty decent but he is just not like he's just always he's still remained a challengers player. Like he's like Birdall. Like it's it's wild that like they went from Birdall to Clear, two players who have always oh, this new up and coming top laner. And then I Holy I Bob. hate Clear so much. I think he's trash, man. He's had a really rough season, and like he he had some he had some rough games in in um summer last year, but th like nothing like this. So you have Clear, who's very weak right now. Willer is trying to hold the team together and saying nice very loudly every time something goes right, which is very rare, but every now, but if anything ever goes well for Fear X, you hear him go, nice on the on the post cam. <laughs> and so I, I like that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Closer who has shown, and I, I, I love the man, and he picks up a lot of POGs because he has to carry for this team to win, similarly to Showmaker. But he has, I feel like, shown, out of all the mid laners we have, Okay, next to Karis. Okay, I'll, I'll put Karis one rung below him. <laughs> They've shown the least career growth over like the last four years. It's crazy that like, this guy has not been replaced by a rookie. Like his ceiling is so low, Wolf. And then the bottom lane, it's 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 Hannah, man. Um, and and Hannah Hannah actually was really 
quite good. Like I was actually kind of hyped about the Hanna pickup at first when I saw this roster because I was like, oh, he's finally out of bro jail. Um, and you know, like, uh, and, and he's actually decent. Like he's improved a little bit, but he's not an inspiring player that makes you feel like he's gonna, he's gonna be like the next big 80 carry. And I think part of that is because execute is running it no matter what, <laughs> if it's a good, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, he is going in. And so Hannah just can't even, he just can't even fucking play the game. He's like, well, I just want to like farm and like, you know, catch a few waves and get my first item spike and go and, <laughs> And executes like, no, we fight all the time, no matter what. And every story, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I just want to, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at late game. That's kind of my my thing. I either play Callista Varus in the early game, or I'm just a late game scaling guy. We don't need to force this fight. Execute. We don't need to flash on that guy. Execute. I just love how he just flashes in the lane, no matter what. Just tries to all in constantly. I mean, it's the only way they can win games. I actually don't even blame him. Like they're not going to win unless he he does that. But sometimes when he does it, it's just so silly, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think Hannah likes it either. <laughs> but yeah, you know Execute's going to do those silly plays. You know that Closer is going to make bad decisions against good players and then maybe mechanically dunk on a bad player. Um, and then Willer has to hold it all together somehow where Clear gets counterpick on R5 and loses lane spe spectacularly um, at all at the same time. I feel bad for this team because none of the parts seem to, besides like Willer trying to one-up everybody, none of the, the pieces feel like they're synergized together. Like, if I'm closer, I don't actually want to play with a bot lane that plays like this. If I'm Henna, I don't want to play with a support that plays like this. If I'm Willer, I don't want to play with a top laner or a mid laner or a bottom or a support player who plays like this. But I gotta try! <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very well-constructed roster, is it, Wolf? No, I'm not. I I hope they make some changes. Um, that's what I'm getting, that's what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> I don't... I, because people always ask, like, why don't you guys talk about X team on the show? So I was like, all right, I guess we'll do a little, we'll do a little fear X talk this week. <laughs> Jeez. I, I mean, it's, uh, I think we're probably done with them, barring some sort of crazy upset win too for the season. Because like, what do you even say? Yeah, not not bad enough for us to meme them. Not good enough to be relevant. <laughs> Conversation. <laughs> you know, what? we'll talk about them next time. Um, no, I was gonna say next time a, a good team loses to them, and they're like the the conversation of like how did D plus lose to? But I actually just don't think they're they're gonna beat any of them anymore. So it, it is. I think their future is grim. Wolf. I think their future is grim. Um. Okay. I guess we'll leave it there for this week. Games to watch this coming week, guys. Uh, Kwangdong versus Gen G kicking things off as we said might not be terrible. Um, we've got Genji versus KT and we have, you know, I actually am excited about Kwangdung versus Nongshim. I actually want to watch that match because I think both those teams are better than their records show. So I'm kind of interested in that one. And we have KT, the fraud bowl, KT versus D plus who is more fraudulent. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, we talked about already. I'm going to say, I think D plus is more fraudulent, but like, <laughs> we're going to find out for sure. I think that is. <laughs> that is a match you definitely do not want to miss. Um, it is going to be very, very interesting. I think Hilarious. my expectation is that 
KT should stomp D plus just from better play, especially in the early laning phases. Um, especially if KT draft like they do, where they just push, get pushing lanes, um, and limit Canyon's ability to. Or sorry, I don't know why I'm thinking it's Canyon still um, on D plus. Limit Lucid's ability mm-hmm. plays like Canyon yep. to actually have agency. Um, and uh, so that since that's my expectation, it'll probably be a three game slugfest that doesn't make any sense at all. And and KT will lose just to disappoint us once again, right? Just to just to throw our our wagers into chaos. I I don't want to say it, but yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> predict that, but I well, know that it is KT. On on competitive edge last week, I literally bet on every outcome of the T one match that wasn't T one two zero, and so I just lost everything. <laughs> <laughs> KT always gets you. They always get you. <laughs> they they found a way. They found a way to just not even win one. I just needed them. Wolf. I needed them either to win or to just win one game. I needed one of those things to happen, and they just lost all the games. So. Shout out to KT. You really enjoyed game two then. I'm sure you really enjoyed game two. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy game two. Because I, I was just like, why are you, fu- I like your cup. Why are you fucking doing this, KT? Why? Why are we throwing the game? You were like, this pick is just never really working. And you were, you were, you had hope in your heart. And you were like, oh man, this draft from T1 is just a little bit all over the place. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Outrageous. Outrageous, Wolf. All right, guys. Thanks for watching the Monty and Wolf show. We'll be back for more next week. See you then.